0: Writing, it is said, is thinking on paper. A problem ensues, however, when our thinking is unclear, our purpose is unclear, or we only raise questions, some or all of which are unnecessary and the one was at- and no one was asking before. And then we provide no answers to any of the questions we raise. It gets substantially worse if, as Shelley has observed, one's writing, check that, my writing is primarily therapeutic for me. First, let it be said that there's nothing wrong with therapy. It just isn't usually appropriate for public consumption Especially if you, my readers, have not consented to a group therapy session where I'm the patient and all y'all are the therapists. If I could take back last week's congregational letter, I would. It was inappropriate on several levels, even beyond the possibility that it was in retrospect more therapy for me than good for anyone else. Indeed, there is the possibility it was harmful to some, and I'm sorry about that. We're in this business of ministry to help people, and with that goal in view, last week I failed on many levels. I don't know if you've ever had a week like last week, but where you felt like you were failing at everything that you were supposed to be doing and being responsible for, and that was one of those weeks. Sometimes, even when we are trying to help, we find ourselves hurting and being hurt. Sometimes, even when we're trying to be transparent, honest, and get to the truth of a matter, we find ourselves deceiving and being deceived. Sometimes, even when we're trying to speak life and hear with spiritual ears, we speak death and hear the devil. So, with that serious introduction, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14. Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. You'll find that on page 142 of our Pew Bibles. This morning is highly unusual in that our sermon text, Numbers 13 and 14, the whole of both chapters, is not what I had planned up until around about 9 o'clock last night. Even after a tough week, I almost wrote there bad week, but we don't know the result of anything that we do immediately, or or most things that we do immediately, but it it was a tough week. I had planned to carry on with the plan, which was to begin our mini-series, Words, A Matter of Life and Death, and they are. But literally, as I was climbing into bed, just after nine, I think it was 9.03, Last night, as many things other than sleep were still rolling around in my head, I heard two of twelve, which is our sermon title this morning. Two of twelve, I thought. Yes, Caleb and Joshua were two of twelve. Look it up. I knew that, of course, but I turned to the Google machine to remind myself where this reference could be found quickly. And... It was and still is, of course, Numbers 13 and 14. And I proceeded to read the two chapters, and thus, here we are. Before I continue, I want to be crystal clear about something. This might only be an exercise, a test of faith and obedience for me and no one one else. Of course, as a preacher, I always hope that whatever we do will be helpful to more people than just, you know, the preacher. But maybe not. There is a real sense in which only time will tell all things, whether they be true or false. Nevertheless, I'd like to make as sure as I can that no one takes offense because they feel they've been singled out. You haven't been. If anyone's being singled out, it's moi. With that prelude, let's briefly review the new central truth of our message for this morning. It's printed there for you in the inside upper left corner of your bulletins. Here it is, the biblical giants in our lives and ministries are those people, purposes, experiences, fears, sins, and any other thing that we allow to keep us from trusting God in Christ Jesus wholeheartedly and obeying his word fully. One more time, the biblical giants in our lives and ministries are those people, purposes, experiences, fears, sins, and any other things that we allow to keep us from trusting God in Christ Jesus wholeheartedly and obeying his word fully. Now, I highlighted those two words, we allow, deliberately, but, but also cautiously, because there are things in our lives that cause us to do stuff, to say stuff that we ought not to do or we ought not to say. And rather than excusing it, we do have to understand that there is some, something behind it, and so we have to have compassion and also grace for, for, for those who have that going on. But, even under this, in the sense that we don't always have our senses about us, we are still allowing at some level these things to keep us from trusting God in Christ Jesus wholeheartedly and obeying his word fully. This morning is also unusual in that I already had assigned myself to read the sermon text this morning. And I did so because I'd like for us to begin a regular call and response, which may be familiar to some of you, around the formal reading of God's word written. So at the end of a formal reading of a passage, the reader ends by proclaiming some version of the word of the Lord. And the congregation or the audience responds, thanks be to God. Okay, so let's practice a couple times. The word of the Lord. That was pretty good. That was better than I thought it would be the first time. Let's try it one more time. The word of the Lord. That's great. You should have Numbers 13 and 14 in front of you by now. Let's begin with chapter 13, verse 1 of the book of Numbers. Now what I'd like to do is read through it in one reading without any sort of editorial comment, and then we'll come back and pick out some spots that seem to be important. Numbers 13, verse 1. "'The Lord Yahweh said to Moses, "'Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites.' for each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So, at the Lord Yahweh's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shammuah son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel. Son of Sodi, from the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gemali, from the tribe of Asher, Sethur, son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vaphozi, from the tribe of Gad, Gehu son of Machi These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land and Then the, the the writer of the text writes parenthetically to remind us Moses gave Hoshea son of Nun the name Joshua So all the way back at verse 8 from the tribe of Ephraim Hoshea son of Nun is Joshua okay that's the That's the note. Verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob, toward Lebo, Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahman, Shashai, and Talmi, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron also had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eschol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eschol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, The." The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord Yahweh bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jeptunah who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord Yahweh is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord Yahweh and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone but the Lord Yahweh is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord Yahweh appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord Yahweh said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord Yahweh, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it, They have already heard that you, O Lord Yahweh, are with these people, and that you, O Lord Yahweh, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord Yahweh was not able to bring these people into the land. He promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the desert." Now may the Lord Adonai's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord Yahweh is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord Yahweh replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord Yahweh fills the whole earth, Not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set, up, set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of those grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Yahweh, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in, the, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord Yahweh, have spoken and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which is banded together against me, they will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord Yahweh. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephune, survived. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they went up toward the high hill country. We have sinned, they said. We will go up to the place the Lord Yahweh promised. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord Yahweh is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord Yahweh, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord Yahweh's covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country, came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Horma. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Just the the little prayer that I introduced to you a few weeks ago, I think is a good one. Father, what we know not teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. What we need not, protect us. Where we have fallen short, forgive us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start with verse 1 of chapter 13. Uh, this morning will be a little bit different. It'll be more like a Bible study than uh, a sermon. Uh, I am aware of the time and so we'll take that into consideration all along our way. But chapter, chapter 13, verse 1, the first several words are the most important words in this story. And these are always, always, always the most important words in whatever story we happen to be in. And what are those words? The Lord Yahweh spoke. Whenever we hear those words, we ought to come to attention. We ought to listen, asking the Spirit to give us a sense of what God is saying, and then we're ready to trust and obey. The Lord Yahweh spoke. Now, who was he speaking to? In this case, he was speaking to Moses. And I want us to note Moses' response. So verse one, the Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, "'Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, "'which I am giving to the people of Israel, "'from each tribe of your fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. Now, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version now. This is my study Bible, and so um, it, it, it's, just, it's, it's better for me, and I apologize if it's worse for you, but I don't think it's that different uh, to cause us much trouble. Verse 3, in response to the exact words of the Lord, Yahweh, so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord Yahweh, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel." So the second most important lines in this story, both chapters, is when Moses responds to what the Lord has has spoken, and he responds in obedience. He responds in faithfulness. He responds in faith to what the Lord has said. And there's no exception to that in these two verses and there are very few exceptions to that in in the first five books of the Bible that we call the Torah or the Pentateuch um, or the law. Uh, Very few exceptions to that. that. Just a couple where Moses didn't do the right thing. But in this case, Moses did exactly what the Lord Yahweh told him to do. He sent 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel. Now, I, I won't go back through all those names, Um, but I will pick it up at verse 17. Moses sent them, these 12 spies, to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. And here we, we see Moses doing exactly what the Lord told him to do and I just want to note from, from a military point of view, scouts are not the ones who determine the course of action when they bring back their report. Scouts give a report about what they've seen or heard. And it's the commander who makes a decision, a plan, to act on the information that he's gotten from them as best he can from their information. And this is very important. The good news here is that we have a clear view of who the commander is. And I'm not talking about Moses. The Lord told them to go, using Moses to send them. And they came back with a report, and we'll see in just a moment that they went well beyond their purview. They stopped being scouts, and they appointed themselves commanders. And I, 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 I checked in the Google machine. I wanted to see about the number 12 in the Bible. It's just a shorthand. Um, uh, we could, with much more time and effort, uh, look at all the instances of 12 in the Bible ourselves, but this took 30 seconds. So that'll probably take, you know, 30 hours. The number 12 in the Bible occurs 187 times. I'm not a numerologist, but I do think that there are some numbers that are important, more more, more specially important than others, and 12 seems to be one of those. God divided Israel into 12 tribes, as we saw just a bit ago. Jesus chose 12 apostles, or or disciples we sometimes call them. After Judas, the apostolate was restored to 12, and whether that was by Matthias or by Paul, we can argue about that, uh, but it was restored to 12. In, In Revelation 21, the New Jerusalem will have 12 gates, 12 angels are mentioned, 12 foundations, there will be the names of the 12 apostles on the gates of the New Jerusalem. And we also see here that Moses sent out 12 spies to scout out the promised land. Now, one of the things that came back with their report, in fact, probably the most important thing from their point of view is that there were giants in the land, And that was scary. And the biblical giants that we come into contact with are those things that also cause us not to trust the Lord, not to obey his word. And I don't want us to miss that. But here's the thing. There are only two, or rather three, giants that are listed, that are named here. If you look there with me, In verse 22, they went up into the Negev and came down to came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. So it's thoroughly possible that three giants in the land, descendants of the Nephilim, and you can look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 4 to learn a little bit more about the Nephilim, although it's not altogether clear, but they were big giants compared to normal human beings. Goliath is said to have been a descendant of the Nephilim or, or, or Anak through Philistia. It's, thir- it's entirely possible that Israel, through the 12 scouts, 10 of the 12 scouts, was turned away from the promised land by three giants in the land. I've got some giants in my life. I'm wondering if you have any giants in your life. This is not an exhaustive list, but there are persons, there are purposes, there are experiences, there are people, there are sins, there are many different things that can set up themselves as giants in our lives that that we just can't get past. I wonder, what are ours? And is it possible that those giants are more illusion than reality? More. Imagery than substance. Verse 25. At the end of 40 days, 40 days, they returned from st- spying out the land. And so yes, I looked up 40. Uh, that probably occurred to you that, yeah, I've heard 40 several times. It occurs 146 times in the Bible. For example, Moses was 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai with God Almighty, and then he brought down the law to Israel. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights before the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus was 40 days on the earth following his resurrection and before his ascension. And of course, we have here Moses' spies returned after 40 days to give their report. Well, what was their report? Well, it says in verse 26 And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Thus endeth the positive aspects of their report, however, or but, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So I don't know if you've ever been in this place. I know that I have been in this place where I have every reason not to do what God is calling me to do. And if we get on that sort of a riff, okay, we're going to list the pros and the cons. Wrong. What has the Lord said? That is the one thing we need to know. And that is the one thing we need to act on. Trusting God in Christ Jesus wholeheartedly and obeying his word fully. Now, not every question that we would have to ask, not every issue that we have in our lives, can we look up a chapter and verse and say, there it is right there, what I need to do in this particular situation. I understand that, but through prayer and Bible study and the counsel of godly people, we can get to a point where we're fairly confident what the Lord is calling us to, and then comes the question, will we do it? Will we go? Will we trust? Will we obey? But Caleb, verse 30 of chapter 13, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Now I want us to notice here that he is not saying that because they're a a big army or a big nation going up against huge people. He's saying it because the Lord had said, go. The Lord has said, I'm giving this land to you. Verse 31, then the man who had gone up up with him said, it seems like this is immediate, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. So now they're backing off of their good report of the land and we're saying it's a bad land for us to go into, into. And finally, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed also to them. It's too big, it's too expensive, it's too much to ask, we're not doing it, and we're not going. Verse 2, verse 1 of chapter 14, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, what would we, what, that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? So now they've gone beyond grumbling against Moses and Aaron. It's directly to the Lord himself. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they actually said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Their leader is the Lord Yahweh. Moses is just the the representative. And remarkably, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord Yahweh delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord Yahweh and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. Would that we had faith like that. Trust like that. A sense of unified purpose like that. But only two of twelve, that's the title of the message, two of twelve came back not only with a good report but also with the faith to enter the land. Don't miss this now we're about to read that Israel, because of their rebellion, because of their refusal to go into the land, they spent another 40 years until all of those who had, who had seen the signs that the Lord had given along their way as they escaped from Egypt, as they came to this very point, all of those that would die and would not enter the, the promised land, there still was hope. And there's a judgment coming. And Caleb and Joshua, the two of the twelve spies, along with Moses and Aaron, begs the people to go. Verse ten. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord Yahweh appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel, and here, here it is again. again. Whenever the Lord speaks, it's the most important part of the passage. And the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And again, Moses intercedes, this time to the Lord Yahweh directly. Verse 13. Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land they have they have heard that you, O Lord Yahweh, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord Yahweh, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord Yahweh was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now... Please let the power of the Lord Adonai be great, as you have promised, saying, The Lord Yahweh is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Here's the last word of the Lord in this story, this scene. Then the Lord Yahweh said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord Yahweh, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. They shall not see the land that I swore to give to their forefathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And the Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, how long will this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord Yahweh, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number are listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones who who you said would become prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness.'" Now what happened next is perhaps predictable as it is pitiful. Of course it's at the the last moment after the judgment has dropped that they come back and they say no, 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 we're going to do what you told us to do and the Lord will deliver us because he promised back there that he would deliver this land to us. And again, Moses is is begging them, don't go, the Lord has judged. He's not with you. You will die in that effort. And that's exactly what happened. Now, are we the two or the 12? Or or the 10, I should say. To be honest, I'm not really sure why I'm preaching this message this morning except that last night at 9.03, the Lord said two of twelve. So I take it as a test of faith, perhaps mine and yours, certainly mine. And I trust that this has been for someone other than me, although it's been for me as well. And I think we are constantly challenged in this world. Not unlike all of God's people, since there was a God's people. To choose whether to follow after him and his word. Or to do something else. Something different. Something better, we suppose. Or perhaps even worse than that, presuming that he is with us, he'll bless whatever we do. That's what led them to go back into the battle after the Lord had promised that they would die. The presumption that the Lord was with them. He had been with them. He would have been with them. He had promised to be with them until they refused to go where he was going. So you and I, we, I'd like for us to ask this question of each other. OK, don't ask it of each other. Ask it of ourselves. Are we the two, or are we the 10? The biblical giants in our lives and in our ministries are people, purposes, experiences, purposes, sin, fear, and many other things that keep us from trusting God in Christ Jesus wholeheartedly, that keep us from obeying his word fully. May we repent and be free again. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we pray that you would work this out in us and through us and for us Again, I, I don't really know why I'm in Numbers 13 and 14 this morning, I don't have anybody in mind, I, I, I didn't come up with it, but Lord, we know that there is something here because it's Your Word. We know that Your Word is good, true, and right. And we know that your word is supremely Jesus Christ, who is and will be forever the embodiment of God's word in his person, and we follow him. And we look forward to that time when we are free of any hindrance between us. And until that time, we ask for your grace. We ask for your spirit. We ask for the fellowship of the Spirit with you and with each other. We ask for you. And help us not to have the sort of faith that comes on the backside, trying to avoid the consequence of judgment. Lord, we, we, we see in this text that that doesn't work with you. But that we obey your every word when we hear it, gladly, joyfully, freely, without consent, or without constraint. And Lord, for each one of us who are in Christ, we know that there is no condemnation for us because we are in Christ Jesus. So it's hard sometimes to hear these judgments of dead bodies in the desert, and you'll not make it to the land. You'll you know, find yourself dead in the desert. We know that Jesus has taken upon himself all of our judgment. And because he was condemned, we are reconciled to you. We thank you for all that he has done on our behalf it's in his name that we pray amen let me just pray and we'll be released let's, let's pray together God our father we ask that as we leave this place you will give us courage to face our giants forgive us for our unbelief forgive us for our lack of trust our disobedience
1: We have many reasons
0: we could list them but help us to set them all aside and trust you wholeheartedly and obey your word fully in Jesus name amen if you would like to be prayed for please join us here in the front otherwise we'll see you next time